Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we brought on an ADU expert, Whitney Hill, on today's episode. And she is a co-founder and CEO of Snap ADU, an accessory dwelling unit construction company serving San Diego. And she has been named San Diego Business Journal's 40 Next Top Business Leaders Under 40 in 2022. And prior to founding Snap ADU, she gained strategic tactical experience as a management consultant for Bain & Company and as an operations manager for an industrial supply distributor. So Whitney, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, Eileen. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. So Whitney, can you share a little bit more about your background with us? And how did you decide to get into general contracting? Sure, I would be happy to. So my whole life, I've had an entrepreneurial bug. And so a lot of my early career was looking for operations management opportunities and general strategy. So I spent about 10 years working in industry, learning from the best of the best while still trying to find what my passion was. So I got to work as a consultant, seeing many different industries and capabilities, and really just seeing what best in class looks like. And then at the same time, was managing people very early. So out of college at 22, I was in an operations management rotation program for a supply distributor, wearing steel-toed boots to work and managing people two or three times my age. So trial by fire for sure, but I learned best practices and how to build and develop a team. So all of that then was something that I wanted to put together into my own business. So I left about 10 years into my career to pursue real estate investing. And I originally started out looking at small multifamily opportunities, invested in some syndications, but I was approached by a general contractor who wanted to partner up on some fix and flips where we were actually buying single family homes that were small, undersized for their neighborhood, popped the top off of those and doubled the size and also renovated the whole thing. So I was actually doing that on the East Coast when we moved out to California. And around that same time, California was passing laws to easier to build accessory dwelling units, like you mentioned, which are small buildings on residential properties that already have a single or multifamily home. So there actually seem to be some similarities between ADUs, these very small spaces, which can be They can be up to 1,200 square feet in some areas, but it's still fairly small. And that was actually what we were doing on the East Coast. These were additions on the second half of a building, and you're trying to fit a certain amount of rooms and such into a defined space. So there's kind of similarities there, and I'd already been learning about general contracting just by nature of being in the fix and flip world. So I was keeping my ear out for ADUs, and I happened to be in a coffee shop and overheard a couple of folks talking about ADUs. Thought I should introduce myself, and I didn't. They walked away, but they came back 30 minutes later, and I knew that was my sign. So I got up and introduced myself to them, and one of those gentlemen introduced me to my future partner, who is a general contractor and had worked in San Diego for decades in construction. So our skill sets really merged beautifully because I had this management and strategy experience and could handle that whole aspect of the business. Meanwhile, he had a great reputation in construction and knew all the ins and outs of that. So our partnership allowed us to very quickly scale up to become the largest stick-built ADU company in greater San Diego. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. So how long was it ago when you moved from the East Coast into California? About five years ago. And we started Snap ADU almost three years ago. 
So when you decided to do general contracting and starting up the business in California, can you walk us through a little bit about what that entailed and how you were able to build up the business from the ground up? Sure. So a lot of it was knowing what needed to happen in a construction business. And again, the couple of years that I'd spent with the flips had given me exposure to project management. Specifically, we used a system called Builder Trend to manage our jobs. So I had spent a lot of time learning all the intricacies of how a job would flow through tech. And as I'm sure many investors are aware, a lot of general contractors, especially smaller residential ones, have not embraced technology. So this was a huge step for the kind of operation that my previous partner on the East Coast was running. and certainly what my current partner was doing. So the first step of really diving into this was figuring out what infrastructure we needed. And so my partner, Mike, here already had a mom and pop type operation running, about five employees doing probably six projects a year, million and a half of revenue. So he was starting to specialize in ADUs. I was able to come in and look at it almost as a consultant. What would we need to do to grow this? So I started building the infrastructure on the tech side while I was understanding exactly what Mike was doing here. There were some differences in doing ADUs, of course, versus fix and flip. So I needed to understand that. And then understand what kind of people we needed to bring on. So we sort of built our way through the organization as you would go through it as a homeowner. So starting with the sales and marketing, that was what we tackled first. I launched a new website for Snap ADU once we were starting out. And then we built out our sales organization. And until then, it was all phone calls and emails, but we built out the CRM that we could use to manage all of our leads. We brought on a dedicated salesperson who's phenomenal at what he does. And then just worked our way through. So building out what the process is like to onboard a client, what it's like to get the job set up with all of the estimations and costing, having the client pick their selections, all the way through the permitting and build-up process. So piece by piece over the last two and a half years, we've built these systems and brought on the talent to the point that now we have design, permit, and build all under one roof. And we have 16 employees in addition to an army of subcontractors. (laughs) Wow. And all in three years. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I think what allowed us to do that so quickly was that Mike already had an existing business. So out of the gate, we had credibility there because he did have good word of mouth, good reviews on Google. So we could build from that. And of course, now it's like so much more than it was at that time. But just having that foundation allowed us to try things right away. We already had an existing small construction company that we could immediately put things into practice. And I think had we started from scratch, that would have been much more difficult to do so quickly. So I think my big learning there is that partnerships can be such an accelerator for a business, especially when you find somebody who has a skill set so different from your own. So in California, the concept of ADUs is pretty recent in the last couple of years. It's not something that they've allowed for like several years so far. For the people who are looking to explore that option and creating some type of ADU, they have extra space, extra land, they don't know what to use for it. What is a typical requirement to be able to get an ADU permit? And then what does that process look like? Sure. So at a state level, California has set some baseline rules that municipalities throughout the state have to adhere to, and they can choose to go beyond that and make it more ADU friendly. But in general, there are no minimum lot sizes required for having an ADU. If you're building a detached unit, you can adhere to four foot side and rear setbacks. So four feet off of that property line, which gives you a lot of space in most cases to do this. You can also convert existing space or add on to an existing residence. And as far as it goes with multifamily, you can actually convert an unlimited amount 
of unused space, things that are not currently habitable. So you can convert laundry rooms, garages, that sort of thing. So a lot of investors will look for ways to fit more units into existing multifamily complexes. And as far as what the process is like, it's like permitting any other kind of a build with a bit more of an accelerated timeline than you would see for, say, a single family home, but more involved than perhaps like just doing a kitchen renovation. So the process typically takes between three to six months in permitting, depending on which city you're dealing with. And if you're in something like a coastal zone or you have other constraints, but things like HOAs cannot reasonably prohibit you from adding an ADU. So even in those kinds of situations, folks are able to add these additional units. And then as far as other incentives that are local to San Diego, the city of San Diego has actually allowed homeowners to add an unlimited number of ADUs that have an affordable component to them. So if you're in a transit priority area, for every affordable ADU you build, which means it's limited in income who you can rent it to, you can build another market rate ADU. So there are some instances where folks have permitted 14 units on the back of their single family property or their duplex or something like that. So some investors are getting very creative with this as far as how they're taking advantage of adding more units so they can rent out that property for max value. So what are some of the requirements that you need to have in those units when you're looking to design it to build it up? Sure. It's very similar to building a home. It has to have a kitchen and a bath, and it's permitted just like you would any other building structure subject to all your local building codes. So it does require a full set of construction documents as well as a site plan, which would need to be all stamped by either an architect or an engineer. So this is not something even with like, you'll hear pre-approved plans from the city. You can't just walk into the counter and get a permit. You do still have to have a full set of construction documents. There are myriad companies doing this either as consultants who would manage that process for you with different entities. Design build companies like we are are a bit more rare. You'll see a lot of folks just kind of piecing this together. We brought it under one house because we felt that it was more transparent to be able to provide pricing up front, guarantee that because we have all of that information from our build side. Also during COVID, we found that supply chain was so important to get right. We were constantly feeding back information about availability on things like windows, appliances that had ridiculous lead times. What can we actually get? So we were designing units that we knew could be built with the current constraints and also value engineering those units so that we were reducing costs by using things like standard sizes so you could do a shower insert without any difficulties. Because sometimes the connection, if you do a separate architect from a builder, you're not getting all of that information married up in a way that ensures you're getting a cost-effective product. It's like a one-stop shop where it's like you're just dealing with one company from start to finish versus piecemealing it in all different places and trying to create some type of conglomerate and making sure that everybody's talking to each other and that no piece of it is falling apart at any point in the process. Absolutely. And for investors, we do have some folks who want to do more of it themselves. And for sure, you can save money that way because you're putting in that sweat equity of managing it yourself. You're also risking that you're going to run into situations that you're not experienced with pushing back on. And since this is a fairly new space, like you mentioned, we're finding situations where a city might require, let's say, right-of-way work, which is work out in the public space that is much more expensive to do because it has a certain contracting license to do it. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars for that kind of work. If a city requires you to do some work like that, but it's not, it's going to go against, like, say, the state regulation, they can't legally require you to do that. But if you don't know to push back, 
you might end up paying for work that you don't have to do. So we've been able to learn when to push back and advocate for the homeowner because all we do is ADUs. So that was also a lot of our success was really hyper-focusing on detached ADUs in San Diego so that we can learn these regulations inside and out and also see what happens when it's actually being inspected. It's another advantage of being designed build. Since we're there for the whole process, we're feeding back information about what tripped us up during the inspections and build out process too. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Typically, what size of an ADU do you see on average being built? Sure. They can be between three, 400 square feet all the way up to 1,200. One city actually allows you to go up to 1,500 square feet. So oh, wow. we're talking, you know, could be three, four <laughs> uh, bedroom house. On average, though, most people are hovering around that 750 square foot range. And that's a good size two bedroom. You can get a good chunk of rent for that. There are also some fees that kick in when you go bigger than 750 square feet, a few thousand dollars difference. So if somebody's thinking about like, oh, I want around an 800 square foot unit, we'll also, you know, we'll often encourage them to stay a little bit smaller to avoid some more of those fees. Can you give us a range of just an idea of a 300 square foot, what that typically on average would cost to build and then versus like a 750 square foot ADU and what would that kind of typically look to? And of course, there's always customizations and everything like that, but just a lot of average to give us the general idea. Yeah, absolutely. And the cost varies so widely based on how big of a unit you're doing. These small units are literally five to $600 a square foot because you're only able to spread those fixed costs of things like site work, permitting, design that are the same for any size unit. Only spreading that across 400 square feet is, of course, so much more expensive than what you're doing with the 1,200 square foot unit. People are also very shocked to add just the square foot pricing based on knowledge of what it costs to build their home, let's say, because that space that you're building in a house that's not a kitchen, that's not a plumbed bathroom, those are the expensive things in the house to build. So to answer your question, let's say a 400 square foot, which is kind of smallest you could do for a one bedroom would be around 200,000 for the unit itself. You're also going to have to get the construction documents and the permitting managed. That's between 10 to $15,000, depending on if you're going custom or off the shelf. Site work is another basic 20 to $25,000 for things like all the utility trenching, getting the pad prepped, making sure that you have the buildable area set. And then that unit itself, like we talked about for a smaller one would be around 200,000. If you were going up to a 1200 square foot unit, you're probably only going to be at about like 300, $350,000 $350, for that unit. So again, such an efficiency on the scale there, because it's also like so expensive to mobilize a trade like foundation, right? Just to get everybody there is a big chunk of the cost. And whether they're pouring a 400 square foot foundation or 1200 square foot foundation, it's basically the same price. So again, when people can build bigger units, it's a lot cheaper per square foot to do it. 
And so when you're also looking to build this, what have you seen has been the biggest mistake for people who are trying to build up ADUs on their own and they are using multiple different service companies? Because sometimes some things might go awry and everything like that. But what kind of been the biggest mistake that people typically make as they get into looking to build an ADU onto their property or multiple ADUs? Yes. I think the biggest mistake is not front-loading the work to understand what your real site work costs will be. So we do mapping of all the existing infrastructure, where are all the pipes right now, what's the current load on the electrical panel, will that need to be upgraded? Is there sufficient infrastructure from the local energy provider at the street level? So all of those things we assess up front because those can be the deal breakers for somebody. If you find out that you have to reroute all of your utilities or you find out that in order to build on the sloped part of your yard that you want to build on, you're going to need a $50,000 retaining wall. Those things can shoot down a project from day one. So that's the biggest mistake we see is that folks will go with somebody because they had the low number and it was not a comprehensive understanding of what it would actually take to build this thing. So one is do your homework. (laughs) Two, the mistake that we see people making is going with an inexperienced draftsman or engineer that has not done a lot of ADUs and the permitting process drags out for months and months and months and months or years. So that's another thing where the expertise, where you're just getting through these processes much faster. Also, because we have permitting in-house, we're able to turn around revisions to the city a lot faster as well. And we were pleasantly surprised to find that you hear these horror stories of two-year permitting processes. We thought a lot of it was the handoffs. Like it would sit with a permitting management company for weeks because they just didn't have the urgency. So that's why we took that in-house because we felt like no one else was going as fast as we wanted to go. And we found that when we're actually doing this, you know, to the T for how a city is asking and turning it around quickly, we're able to see permitting times more in the like three to four month window consistently rather than some of these protracted times you'll see. And of course it varies by city. Cities have had a lot of layoffs not layoffs, a lot of attrition with employees, just like a lot of other industries have, but it's particularly bad in government right now. So that short staffing has led to some queue times as well. Have you ever seen anything where the project is already well underway, the permits have already been signed off and everything like that, and then the city comes and inspects it, and then something just happens to go awry and things need to be changed? And how do you prepare for that? Or how do you mitigate some of those risks? Yes, this does happen. So you can have an approved set of plans and an inspector comes in and sees something that was either missed during the plan check process by the city or is just interpreting it differently. And all of the, if you read the fine print from the city, they're totally allowed to do that. Like just because they missed it doesn't mean they can't come back and correct it. So some of the horror stories in that regard have been things like they missed that there was an undersized water line coming into the ADU and we had to tear up the entire water line all the way to the street, getting into that dreaded right-of-way work like I talked about, tens of thousands of dollars difference. Also situations where the city didn't require a survey during the permitting process you know, to map out exactly where the property lines were gave us approved plans. But then the inspector comes out and says, I can't prove that that is actually your property line because I don't have a survey. Sure, it's the fence. We don't know if the fence was encroaching. So your foundation may be in the wrong place. You can imagine how expensive it is to move a foundation. (laughs) So these are the battles that we have to fight. And then also tell the client the stuff up front. So again, we're almost trying to give them the worst case scenario because we've seen these things happen. So it's like, yeah, you're not required to do a survey, but it's at the discretion of the inspector. So the money is on getting the survey to avoid these potential tens of thousand dollars snafus down the road. So I think a lot of the secret in avoiding those pitfalls is just knowing what might happen at the inspection point beyond the permitting stuff so that you can mitigate that risk up front. 
So with all these potential pitfalls and things that may be happening, people are still seeing ADUs as a great way to generate additional income for coming into their properties, building up some more ways and creating more affordable housing, essentially. Have you seen the growth of an increase of ADUs over since you first started a couple of years ago to where it is now today? For sure. And I'm giving you all the horror stories. Eighty you percent know, <laughs> of the builds go really easily. <laughs> bad. But you don't want to be the twenty percent. You're right. Lots of folks are doing this. And the growth rates as far as you know, permits and process, you're seeing like a fifty percent increase each year in the number that are being processed in San Diego. Some of those will fall through, but a good number of them are being built. So we're also seeing more investors approaching us about, you know, how can I use these incentives that the city is offering on the bonuses and those kinds of things that we were just talking about. The real bottleneck, though, for a lot of folks on this is financing. ADUs are fairly new. And until recently, a lot of loan products wouldn't recognize them in a way that would allow you to leverage the property. There are some new products out there, though, that will allow you to build on the after repair value of that ADU, regardless of kind of like the constraints of what you would have seen with the conventional loan. So it's getting a little bit easier to finance them. But with the rising interest rates, we have seen the investor demand slow a bit in this area. About 60% of our client base is actually families that are building these units for members of their own family. So those folks aren't really in the same position interest-wise because a lot of them are selling a house that mom used to live in and they're going to build the ADU. So it's a bit of a different animal. Got it. So Winnie, you've built up the company, took it from three employees to where it's now over 16 employees. What do you think has been the biggest contributor to the growth of the company? I would say focus has been the biggest contributor. In the beginning, we were looking at all different kinds of ADUs, conversions of existing space, and all that kind of work, super different than detached ADUs that we do now. So we turned down business to focus on just doing detached ADUs. And that was really hard, but it allowed us to get really good at what we're doing and develop repeatable processes to just replicate that part of our business. I would also say focus in terms of what we as business owners are spending our time doing. So we really try to keep ourselves out of the operation. If you find yourself doing something more than a handful of times, you need to be thinking about how to start recording that process to hand it off to somebody else. So that focus on both the business and your own time was vitally important to scaling as quickly as we did. One of the things that you had mentioned earlier too was, especially during while we were in the midst of COVID and the pandemic, the supply chain issue was such a big deal. People couldn't get the materials. Prices were hiked up and it was so expensive. What is the current environment today? And is it a little bit easier to get some more supply chain? And has the prices come down a little bit to make it a little bit more affordable? Supply chain is not as challenging. Like we have definitely seen that flatten out a bit. There's still certain materials we know we just shouldn't order <laughs> because they're more <laughs> inconsistent, but we have most of that figured out now. As far as the pricing, that's flattened out. I don't really see it decreasing, largely because this labor component of it as well is a huge part of your build cost. And as with many industries, a lot of people are not going into the trades. So even if things like material prices are flattening out, labor costs are continuing to go up. So we're still seeing pressure in that department. That is actually something else that we've had to innovate on because homeowners were so nervous about signing contracts because they know about this high inflation environment. They were worried about not being able to actually build it for the price that they were quoted it at because this can be a 12-month process, right? So we started taking on the risk of those price changes by offering a price lock for clients once they sign off on their design. So we hold their price for six months, which is almost unheard of in contracting. It's always like, all right, once you got your permits, like we'll let you know what the price is. So 
that was something we had to do to give our clients the certainty that they could take this on and budget accordingly. So that means we have to be very good at knowing how much we expect all these costs to change over the life of that job and also nailing what our costs are up front so that we can make those promises and deliver on them. And what's next for SnapBDU? I think what's next for us is expanding our reach within the city. You know, we were something like only 3% of the builds being done in San Diego. So there's so much more opportunity there to become even more of a market leader. It's highly fragmented. So there's a lot of opportunity. And I'd say in like more of the intermediate term, as ADUs start expanding even more across the nation, we could definitely see you know, Snap ADU being a repeatable process in other markets. Contracting is notoriously difficult to do beyond kind of a local level, but we feel that there's a lot of the processing that goes into this and the thought about how you set it up that could be leveraged in other areas. And so Whitney, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? I love how it's given me the flexibility to plan my day and my week as I like. I have two young children. And so that's a huge component for me. Even though I'm working a lot of hours, I get to control when that's happening. So I think the flexibility has been massive. And I would also say that real estate investing has given me the opportunity to leverage a lot of the different skills that I've built throughout my career. It's very multidisciplinary and I'm getting to use different parts of my brain every day. And I love that. And if there's one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? I think I'll go back to a comment on focus. I think in the beginning, it's easy to get distracted by all the different shiny objects and wanting to try out a lot of things. And there's some upsides to getting a broad view for a while. But I think the sooner that you can pick an area and go all in on it, the sooner you're really going to become someone who is a leader in that field. And you're just going to get a lot more bang for your buck than trying to spread yourself too thin. So I wish I had focused earlier, to be honest with you. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate? the most differentiating factor is consistency. So it's difficult to show up day in, day out and nail it on all of those operational things that need to happen, all the strategic things that need to happen. But consistently showing up and doing those seems to be the thing that can make people sink or swim. Because even a great idea, if it's not implemented well, really doesn't matter. So it comes down to that execution excellence and doing it right every single time. And Whitney, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and your company, where's the best place that they can go? Our website, snapadu.com, is full of information, both about ADUs and building costs, regulations, all that kind of stuff. You can also find more information about our team there too. Awesome. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing a little bit about what you do with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Aileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.